I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Bees Tactical Podcast, where we try to get under the bonnet of all things tactical and statistical at Brentford. I'm David Anderson, uh, your host for today, and for this special Q&A episode, I'm joined by Jake Newman from the Bees Analytical Podcast. Jake, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Dave. Pleasure to have you on again, as per usual. It's nice to get into the nits and grits of this season, to be fair, and what a good one it's been so far. Yeah, it's been awesome, hasn't it? Yeah, thank you very much for doing this. Um, this is a little bit different to anything else we've done before. It's just going to be a pure sort of Q&A chat and um, just had some great questions in. I think um, they needed the space to to just be explored on their own, um, separate from the podcast, because um, there's just so much content to put into it and so much to chat about. So, um, yeah, you ready to go? Yeah, go ahead. Let's do it. Let's go straight into it. Okay, so the first one we're going to approach is from Simon Radford. So it's a little bit long, but um, let me put this to you, Jake. Uh, so Swansea claimed that they had seen Reyes starting position as something for them to exploit. It seemed like Wickham had decided that long crosses into the box were the best chance of getting success against us. And then Beast Tactical recently linked to some analysis on Twitter looking at the strengths and weaknesses of different formations. Um, so what have you seen... Uh, from the change tactics of teams that we've played against compared to when they play others. And that suggests the, um, what others see our weaknesses are. Is this more to exploit against us than these two concrete examples might suggest? Um, keep up the great work. So how would you approach that? Me, I don't think... I think most teams are set in their system of formation. Rarely have we seen a team turn up and play 10 men behind the ball and try and try grind out a result. I think we we covered it excellently in the last podcast. We spoke about teams seem to be coming at us more for the opening 10, 15 than we've seen before. Again, though, for me, that's I think it's typical to the way teams play. Swansea aren't a terrible side and have been very, very good this season. And they've played very solidly defensively, as the defensive record shows. I think the thing is, when the analysis process goes through at our club, they're looking at in possession, how can they beat us? Out of possession, how can they beat us? And then set plays is a typical example. I think set plays is something that we've highlighted. Reyes positioning got exploited ruthlessly in the playoff final. As it in the biggest game in football on the biggest stage, it was just unfortunate. 
Swansea again have highlighted it as a thing as if they can box him off and close him off, it's a way they can get to us. And it was one of our weaknesses. I think we lack currently leaders in the box, people to attack the ball. We're not going towards it, and it's kind of leaving Reyes no man's land. He's getting stuck in that grey area of centre-backs and a bundle of bodies. And then that ball over to the back post or aiming for the back area is being exploited. We saw it. Bristol did it perfectly within 10 minutes. They got a set-piece out wide. They boxed off Pinnock, Tony, and then Reyes' flat-footedness at the back post has led to them scoring an easy tap-in. Wickham did exactly the same system. Don't think that's a case. I think it's just a case of teams following what everyone does. They'll check a team's weaknesses. I don't think necessarily it means a whole changing system and formation and style, because no team's going to rip up their entire playbook for a single game. But it's definitely yeah a highlighted area that we need to look at as a team. How can we do better? Does it mean Raya has to position himself slightly higher and maybe just accept that people like Joe Bryant will exploit that? In some cases, is it we just have to live with it and knowing nine times out of ten he'll come out and claim it better? Or is it a case that we could look at it from the point of view of do we set up in a man-to-man system instead instead of playing this kind of hybrid? And um, like, that's the kind of stuff we could look at. And I think Frank, obviously, as the pragmatist as he is and his willingness to change, I think he'll he'll know these better than anyone. And it's a case of, right, can we improve it? It's just as unfortunate it's happened in the last three games. And we'll hopefully see a solution soon. We do have another question, though. I'll pose this one to you now, David, about Rico Henry potentially being the fastest player in the country. Do you have any access to data to suggest this? And this is from Stuart Cargill. Cargill has asked you this one. So I'll leave this one to you to answer first. Yeah, it's a brilliant question isn't it I think seeing Rico's recovery pace against Bristol and just throughout the season and just when you think he's caught out yeah it's just incredible um, but the honest answer is unfortunately no like yeah, speed data especially at championship level is really hard to find and come by and it doesn't really seep into like the pl- uh, public domain um, it's hard enough to get at like Premier League level um, but yeah, there was a really good podcast actually I listened to recently um, with Ali Maxwell and Tom Warville. They were talking about Premier League sort of speed numbers and different intensity sprints and how sport. I think it's Sporting Logic are tracking this now. But it'd be amazing to see it at Championship level. And just to, just to home in on the answer, I think um, Rico Henry is probably one of the fastest players in the country. He's absolutely rapid, and you can see he giving players a start like a head start. He can pick up some speed really quickly, just fast over that first acceleration burst over 10 yards and balls that he isn't favourite to get to or he looks sort of 70-30 or 60-40, he's turning in his favour really quickly. So I wish we could see this data because I think it would prove some interesting things. But to the eyes, Rico looks like he's one of the fastest players in his country. And um, if we do get up to the Premier League, it's going to be fascinating to see how he performs up there against consistently quicker players because that's what you just get at a level up. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I think... I always find it weird with sports data and like the, the sprint speeds because we always see a player that we don't expect to be there. Like mm. I think it was last year, like Pogba was up there because he made one intense sprint that happened to clock in at like twenty odd miles an hour. Like it's I, I think for more important is those that do it consistently. I think I'd love to see that with Rico, like the consistent number of accelerations he's making, or consistently a top speed when recovering. I think. 
speed. Or he was the quickest stockiest speed in the Premier League this year. Isn't enough. I think we need more and hope, fingers crossed, over a year as it becomes more accessible, people will have the chance to see it. I do think Weissgart, though, have a section where they cover accelerations. I like so then it might start becoming more to come in more into the mainstream as as teams go on. I'll have a look now quickly if we can. So yeah, now here you go. I've got the accelerations per ninety. Currently, top of it is a Bonnet, former Brentford forward. Uh, he's only played three games this season, and so the one that's played more than twenty is Jack Rothwell of Blackburn. It's making three point zero eight accelerations per ninety. That's really interested in Rothwell, so that matches the eyes. I did a piece on him with Metrica's data, Metrica's um, sort of analysis tool after our match against Blackburn, and Rothwell was just incredible. Like You could see he'd definitely been told, as soon as that ball drops your feet, just drive forward and move forward at speed quickly and just break the, break as many lines as you can and unsettle Brentford. So that's really interesting that Rothwell's up there. I think his progressive runs are, are known about, but I guess accelerations is another another exa- uh, sort of extension of that and uh, the sort of maybe the process behind it well then I'll post this one again to you then who do you think second on that list if you do across because it's a name that I, I did not expect to be up here to be fair uh, second in accelerations well if it's not Rico Henry it's Rothwell um, is it Kadeem Harris no uh, you, they play at Millwall and they play, play Millwall? in their forward they're part of the forward unit or, uh, and midfield, we'll go forward and midfield unit to be kind. Jed Wallace. It is Jed Wallace, wow. which is surprising for me. Yeah, you don't really see Jed Wallace going at normal speeds. He's always sort of going 100 miles an hour if you think about him stylistically. So maybe it does make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and then to top out, just because obviously we'll do it in odd numbers here, it is Lewis O'Brien at Huddersfield, mm. tops out the top three with yeah. 2.4. Yeah, O'Brien, that makes sense as well. This, these are definitely matching what I'm sort of seeing on the pitch. O'Brien's another one, a second the ball that hits his feet, just move forward really, really quickly. I'm guessing this is all on the ball stuff as well, isn't it? The shame so, yeah. And then, yeah. Just so then we do have one Brentford player, and Josh Silva caps out the top 10. So he's 10th out of everyone. So I can't see Henry on here. Maybe if I put fullbacks in, have a look. Uh, would Henry come out? Oh, there you go. Henry comes out in the seventh position at fullback for accelerations per 90. Wow. There we go. So behind Giles, Bayern, Awusi Tutu uh, at <laughs> Cardiff. He's oh. played five, six games this year. And then Pippa uh, at Huddersfield. Yeah, interesting. I think. Yeah, well, didn't know that was here. Well, there you go. You learn something new every day. Yeah, there you go, Stuart. Um, we didn't think we could answer that properly, but we've given you something a slightly different angle on that one, which is great. Okay, let's move on to the next one. That was really fascinating. Okay, so something we've spoken about a little bit before. I'll pose this one to you, Jake. Um, can the team cope with... Sorry, I'm not sure who this one's from. Can the team cope with just Janelt and Norsgaard as defensive midfielders? Sp- uh, please explain what Jensen does there. <laughs> so I'll let you take that one first, Jake. Force me, Arsene Jensen. Poor, poor, poor bugger, like... Wait, we've you've sold him down the river there a bit now. For me, yes. In short, yeah, we're absolutely fine. How often? It's, uh, I'm going to absolutely jinx this now. How often do we see our two starting sixes go down injured? I know Norgard's been out for most of the year because of just varying strains and bumps, but you know it's been absolutely fine. I think the workload for our number six is manageable when he's been and Frank's done brilliantly to rotate that midfield free. That then brings on to the Jensen argument of. He's played as a six and an eight this year, and and also in that ten role. And I think he's so much better on the ball than you know. 
yes, he's not as good as defensively. Yes, he's not as good in covering space and his awareness of what's around him, as we saw against with that Wickham goal where he got beat pretty comfortably and easily. But he's a better ball player. And we look a lot better in our building phase when we go through a Jensen other than, you know, I mean, Jensen doesn't play with as much fear and tends to play forward a lot more. I think uh, Five Yards did a brilliant graphic earlier, if you go check their Twitter out, looking at the forward passes and Jensen's in the top 10, 20% of players in the league because he's just so much more progressive than, you know, who tends to be a lot more static. I think if you could have two players mixed together, you know, and Jensen, it'd be perfect because you'd have the attacking side of the game as well as the defensive solidity he brings. Fortunately enough, we have someone of them called Norgard, and when he's been fit, I think you know it goes back to sitting on the bench, <laughs> and it ties in quite nicely to that question of, do we think that you know and Norgard can play together from Will Gore, and, and the, they've put, I'd love to see it tried. I will bring up a point here of we thought Baptiste and De Silva would be the second coming of Jesus, and how brilliant it would be. It was not. We got beat by a very abject Luton team two one, and looked abysmal. Just because having these two players in the team would be good, I don't think it works in practice because we lose all of our midfield dominance. 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 Which my word? Dominance. <laughs> I think we lose that midfield battle because we're too defensive. We don't play in a two and a one. We play in a one and a two. You know it's not good enough to play forward because I don't think his ball plan is good enough. Nor do I think having you then lose the ability of Norgard, who drops in from deep and run, makes lates run into the box to put teams under pressure. So you lose it. You lose the the balance of the midfield. Yeah, in principle, I can agree with it. We'd be more solid if we were going to play a defence who shapes to defend for our lives. Then fair enough, I might see an argument for it, but we're probably the third or fourth best team in the division. How often are we going to be defending for our lives and playing for a point? I'd like to think we, we won't be ever be doing that. And you might want to come in here... Dave, and just follow up on what I've said, and if you agree or disagree with my points. Yeah, I think overall I definitely agree. Um, the only thing I probably would add slightly is I think um, uh, what, just back on um, De Silva and uh, Baptiste, I think mid, the midfield, basically the midfield blend is really interesting, and I think you can easily get that wrong, and you need to get the balance right. So De Silva and Baptiste, the players who just like to vacate their positions, like they basically just runners and they're scurriers, and they just want to move forward and get the ball forward. That's their one of their main strengths, getting on the ball and then bringing it forward. So you also need another balance behind that to sit there and hold. And I think they can both do that, and they can do that in different phases. But it's it's sometimes tricky to get the combination right. I think Yanelt. You know, is a weird player. I still don't think we know exactly what he is. And I think because he's big and strong, he looks like he's a six. But I think there is a bit more adventure to his game in terms of actually getting on the edge of the box and doing a bit more damage that way. So I'm I'm still not sold on his exact role. But um, yeah, there's a long there's a long way to go. We we feel like we know a lot about Janelle because we're watching these games and, and they're just every week we're getting two of these games. We're seeing him a lot and we're all watching them on TV. So we're not missing much and we're seeing replays. So we, we think we know everything about these players, but Norgard comes back in and changes the dynamic of our midfield again and then we've got another we've got another solution to a problem we didn't think we had and we become even better. So yeah, there's yeah. there's still a lot to go. I'm not I'm not entirely sure on the combinations yet, but I, I think if it had to be done, I think they could play together because I, I think Lionel could do something more advanced. That's what I kind of see in him. 
That's. I think the roles of the midfield are pretty defined in the way we have it. We have a number six, mm. your Norgard, that will sit and hold. You have a number eight that plays as the box-to-box, links the midfield and attack with the and that links the midfield and attack and is the creative force. And then you have the number 10 that floats and plays in behind, really. And I think Jensen typically plays as that 10, 10 role, and then De Silva will play as that 8, where he'll drive forward, he'll, he'll progress the play with a dribble, he'll overlap out wide. And I think Jensen's more in that mould of a, of a, what would you call it? It's more of that play, playmaker type role. Mm. He conducts it a lot more. He's not a deep liar, but he'll join up with the attack. He'll overload. He'll underlap. He'll go out wide. He'll pop up in the centre areas. And so then that's the balance of the midfield. I've done a thread before. I think I called them a number four, a number six, and a number eight, I think is what the terminology I used. Because it's not quite an out and out number 10. You will play in behind. So like, obviously we've seen Jensen and when I talk about an eight, Jensen's moved across that eight role and then Godass has come in and played as a 10, like a proper 10. He just pops up wherever. He doesn't really contribute to the defensive side other than dropping back into his shape. So it's that balance. I think we, we've had various combinations and we're fortunate with the players we have to mix it up. We don't have to keep playing the same combos of players and player rotations key this year yeah it's really interesting isn't it I, I remember that thread yeah maybe you should just uh, retweet that out and check it and check it out again just so people can see it again but yeah Jensen's so the midfield is just all about linking defensive attack and doing as many phases being comfortable in as many phases as you can and then De Silva's more of a midfielder that moves the ball with the ball at his feet clever picking up positions and Jensen's probably more of a passer in the way that he links like he'll go out wide where the space is and he'll pretend to be a winger he'll pick up position where a starting winger would be but it's only just so that he can get space and then progress it forward or or keep the ball moving so he's very different players but the fact that the, the Jensen and De Silva basically complement each other really really well and whoever you put behind them enables both of them to flourish and I think that's that's where we've been really lucky with having these two players so I, I guess this leads on quite well to the next question from uh, Eddie Sykes, actually. Uh, for the January review pod, how would you sum up Jensen's season in the Championship for, so far, both as a centre midfielder and a central defensive midfielder? Um, what would you say, Jake, to that? Top draw. I think he's been quality this year. I think he's probably been one of our best midfielders this year. I think De Silva takes a lot of the headlines because his attacking mm. numbers are a lot higher and we tend to see him pop up in pockets where he can affect the game with a goal or an assist. But Jensen is keeps that midfield ticking over this year. I think he's been asked to play in a variety of different positions, which is because of just rotation and players. I think when he plays as that eight or ten, as we've spoken about, he's been electric. Swansea couldn't deal with him. Our whole goal comes from him sliding Rico Henry on down the side. It's, his pass value this year is always in the top two or three players, even when you take out his corners and assists he's got this year. You know, and and the wicked set piece delivery, like he's been very very good. Him and Yenault have shared the corner corner duties brilliantly, and I think Jensen's been really really good. I think he gets goes under the radar because he doesn't score as often. He's not in the final third and driving forward like Silver does, where he gets all the plaudits. But without him, we would be a lot weaker. We wouldn't tip, and we wouldn't have that bridge. And I think the Silver struggles to do it on his own. And as we mentioned earlier, no, he's not as defensively as solid as our CDM and playing that as that, in that position that, you know, and Norgard do. But he, he does the ball playing really well and we look a lot better 
with him in the side because he's just such a good link. Yeah, I'd reiterate that. I think he's had a really good season, actually. Um, it's just second season, yeah. So he's played a lot of these teams before now. He's um, he's more aware of his role. He's uh, Yeah, he's just a really good player. I think something that I've noticed about him is his physicality. I think it's gone up a little bit of a notch. I don't think he was mm-hmm. overly weak last year. I wouldn't say that, but... I think this year you're seeing him able to bump players off and to hold players off in tight positions. Um, when he's got the ball at his feet, I think he's strong enough now to go past players without just basically just doing what he wants to do on the ball because he's got the skill to do it. But he's also got the upper body strength to hold players off and let it come off. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I think De Silva gets, you said it, gets the headlines because, well, he's like, he's six foot, he's got that left foot, he can just bend them in from anywhere. He, Basically, he does more work around the edge of the box. But recently, De Silva's been doing um, some interesting stuff around the box as well, like strolling through against what Swansea he got that one. Was it against Swansea he got that one-on-one where he went through about three or four players? I'm not yeah, sure. I mean, Swansea or Luton, one or the other. Jensen slotted him in, didn't he? And yeah. he missed a one-on-one. Yeah, so there's there's things that he's doing as well on the edge of the box. But yeah, the, the two players are very... Because they look so different, we don't we sort of think of John uh, Josh De Silva being the superstar and the one that finishes everything off and the silky left foot and the big dribbler and he gets all the headlines. But Jensen's quietly there pulling the strings like uh, like a puppet master behind him and just picking out clever positions. And yeah, he's a really good player and his physicality is coming on. I think also Spurs was quite an interesting game as well because you saw him up against some physically dominant midfielders in Sissoko and Ndombele and... I mean, they come in the end. They they were beaten, Brentford, and the midfield were beaten. But there were a few phases there where they couldn't get near Jensen, and he did enough to hold them off and get spread the ball. And you got a glimpse of what it might be like again for for these players stepping up again. Um, yeah, so quite interesting. Yeah, I I was going to relate that to you. In a team where Brentford are now, would you have Sawyer's heavy Jensen? Oh, what today? As in, like just plug and play? Yeah. A bit- which it's a hard question. Do you mean? To, are you talking about the Sawyer's that I see week in week out for West Brom, or are you talking about Sawyer's for maybe two years ago? <laughs> We're talking about the, the, the Sawyer's of Brentford Old. The Sawyer's of Brentford Old. Gosh, uh, the Sawyer's of Brentford Old v Jensen. I don't. I don't know. You know, it's a tough. It's a really. I, I think the way I remember it, Sawyer's from back then was everything about Brentford that midfield he was getting it off the defensive players he was moving into the final third he was making so many passes and he was good at it and I think I don't know if I would you know there's something that tells me not because I think Jensen facilitates what else goes on now in a better team whereas Sawyer's had the responsibility of doing a lot of ball progression and and then just um, sort of second, like that pass behind someone making an assist or spreading it wide. I think he had to do a lot on his own because it was a limited team. But again, if you plugged Sawyers into this team of how dominant he was, would he be a bit frustrated? Would he Would he have the discipline to just pull him? Do you know when Jensen sometimes just pins himself on the touchline and he's just there and he's just waiting because he knows that the, the defence are going to cycle, recycle it around and move it to the left wing. Would Sawyers have the discipline to sit there and wait or would he be right at their feet trying to pick it up from them and just trying yeah. to dictate play that way? So they're different, they're different players. I, I think Jensen suits what we're about today more, the more methodical build-up, whereas Sawyers was a bit more get it probe get it probe get it probe and just yeah. keep recycling it and maybe maybe we were making too many passes basically like it was obviously the 
the less passes you make, the more likely you are to score a goal. Like goals are the se- the sequence behind goals tend to be shorter phases of play than long, long possessions. Maybe we were passing the ball too much under Sawyer. So it's a tough question. You've put me on the spot there. I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And I think um, just for today's Brentford, it would be Matthias Jensen. Just. <laughs> yeah. oh, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head. Is the methodical nature of Jensen. Mm. Sawyer's was a line breaker. He would try to split the team in one pass or it would be a, the Hollywood ball, as I used to call it. I think Jensen is just so much more of a neater player. And that's why I think I haven't, because he just makes things tick. And I think he is better than Sawyer's at what we need now. And that's, yeah, I totally agree with you with the Jensen argument. I just think Sawyer's, you imagine that of a Norgard, Sawyer's playing as the 10 and then Jensen as that 8. That's some front, that's some midfield through. And Paul and Silver gets left out and plays on the right wing occasionally. <laughs> exactly. Where do you fit Josh into that? <laughs> we'll play four midfielders. <laughs> yeah, some kind and of And then Goddess is the fifth. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice problem to have, eh? Like, lucky I'm not picking that team sheet every week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's move on to the next one. Uh, so Gary S., uh, We sort of spoke about this in the main podcast a little bit, but as the season has gone on, are we seeing teams approach games against Brentford in a different way? So Wickham attacked us, Luton attacked us. Have the opposition spotted anything for the second round of fixtures? Uh, Are teams attacking us more than the first set of games? Uh, What do you think to that, Jake? No, not really. I I think every team will come with a, a style of playing system that they play. You know, Rotherham are a high-pressing defensive unit that we're going to suffocate the life out of. You know, Barnsley will do that. I think, like I already mentioned, I just can't see teams breaking their game plan for the sake of one game. And that Leeds last year, again, was cases of Barnsley literally went toe-for-toe them playing the way they play. And that, I know John spoke about it in the main pod, especially with the... He feels that teams play differently, but I just can't see that with Brentford. Watford played in the same same way they had been all year, and that was shit. And <laughs> so, nah, I, I, so, Watford are a good team. I, I take that one. I'll back down on that one. But <laughs> no, I don't. I, I don't see it. I think there's weaknesses teams try to exploit, especially with the isolation of our fullbacks, because our not always our wing wingers tuck in. We get quite. They get isolated one v one, two v one. I don't. I think or no. I'm of the opinion no. I think teams might come at us a bit and try and get us under pressure. Barnsley, I know I bring them up, that's the third time now, but last year they literally went toe-for-toe with us. They pressed us they, and just dragged us into the ground. We couldn't do anything against it. I, mean, I have a feeling Rotherham will be a similar sort of vein of a game of we'll try and play, but can't. Yeah, I'm of the opinion teams have a philosophy and a pathway, or most do, or the smart clubs will. And most will stick to their principles and try to exploit our weaknesses that we have, like set plays at the back post, because Raya, Pinnock and Tony, neither of them seem to be defending their zone right now, <laughs> particularly comfortably. But yeah, yeah, I'm of the opinion now. I think we're we're okay. And I think it's each game as it is. We take it. We're nearly 20 young games unbeaten. We're rolling in. We feel the groove that we've probably drawn a few too many and we probably should have won more in that 20. So I think we're in a good position and I think the good times hopefully should keep rolling. Yeah, I, I largely agree. I think um, I think the timing of games, so for instance, if you play, say for instance we played Brist, uh, sorry, we played um, Barnsley and Rotherham after each other. 
Um, and those are two high pressing, high intensity teams. I think we talk about we talk about Brentford being and we lost those games. It would be oh, Brentford have finished because they teams just press them, and that's what all teams do. When it's not what all teams do, it's just that you've played a couple of teams who've exploited that, and they've conceded, and they've been fortunate to score those goals. So it's it's almost a little bit of recency bias in that if you think we've been found out because of these last few games there's there might be a reason behind it. it it might be that they've they're doing something or they've changed something or they are attacking early on in games and we can't cope with it or they've seen a, a their game plan means that they attack for that first 15 minutes and then try and contain for the next uh, the next long periods like an hour or so or some other teams might be we keep it tight for the first half an hour and then we attack later so i don't know it's i, I don't want to say that teams are attacking us more because i don't think that balls out in any of the shot numbers or the non-shot numbers or anything or the expected goals numbers I don't think we're if anything we're becoming more dominant I, I just think the timing of attacks and the fact that a couple of goals have come in these early stages makes us feel like we're being a bit bombarded and a little bit found out but I, I don't think it's the case really yeah no absolutely I totally agree it's just a case of stuff it happens and because it's happened in the last two or three doesn't mean it's always going to happen yeah and it's a case of yeah, we've, it's just the bias. We've just got to wait and iron these issues out. Hopefully, so <laughs> yeah, I'm ninety nine point nine percent certain the coaching staff, the analyst staff, and all of those involved with football club will know these issues and are working behind the scenes to sort them out. Basically, yeah. I've, uh, well, yeah, that's um, that's all we've got for this week. That's all we can fit in. We try and get it into a little half an hour. I think we've done well. Um, we might do another one of these they, if they're popular and um, people are interested in them. Um, yeah, we'll see how they go and see how it fits in with the other schedules we have. Um, that leaves me just to say, Jake, yeah, thank you very much. Um, have you enjoyed uh, your sort of crossing the bridge this uh, this week? Absolutely. It makes a change for me to appear on your side, isn't it, for once? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not borrowing you for everything. So. <laughs> no, any time. Um, yeah, more than welcome. Uh, yeah, we'd have you on more regularly if we could. It's, um, it's great to have an extra voice. Uh, and so knowledgeable as well. So thanks a lot for joining us. Too kind, too kind. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll just finish up doing all the housekeeping bits. Uh, so follow Beast Tactical wherever you search for stuff. Um, there's the uh, the Substack page. There's also the Patreon page where you can support the podcast and a bit more of the Beast Tactical stuff that they do. Uh, and yeah, review the podcast. And um, I hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.